want to thank you for being here this morning. Uh, we're going to look at a, a Bible study from the book of Joshua, chapters 3 and 4 this morning. Uh, it's a story about uh, the children of Israel. And we hear a lot about the children of Israel on the other end of the Exodus when they were delivered from the bondage of Egypt. And we've talked quite a bit about that. But we're going to now look at the other end. And the other end of that story is what happened after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness? What happened to them at that point? And finally, they come to the land that was promised. You know, I, I, I uh, built this lesson this week, and uh, about Thursday, I realized that I had built the perfect Dusty Nighty lesson. The only problem is, is Dusty's not preaching it, so you're going to have to listen. I started to call Dusty and say, hey, Dusty, i got a great lesson. I'd like you to give it. But we're going to look at this story of the children of, of, of Israel and and how it might apply, how we might apply the lessons from uh, from what happened to them to us. And as we pick up our story, we're going to find that the children of Israel have wandered for some forty years in the wilderness. Now they've been delivered from Egypt, and they've been in this wilderness, and they've moved from place to place. Now I want you, if you can, to put yourself in in their shoes. It says in, in one place that the only two people who were 20 or older at the time of the, the parting of the Red Sea, and as, as the children of Israel left Egypt, there were only two people that were still alive to finally inherit the promised land. That was Joshua and Caleb. So if you think about that, that means there were two people over 60 years of age. Everybody else would, would be younger. Now think about for a minute, if you were under the, under 40 years of age, what would that mean? That means that the, you, you really didn't have a home. You'd never known a home. Because all you'd really done is move from one place in the wilderness to another. And you did have a tent that you lived in, but you just, you basically were a nomad. You, you moved from one place to another. There was no real place that you called home. And all you really knew was this, this wilderness. Now, there were some people that were between the age of 40 and 50 and 60 that might have been part of, of the deliverance from Egypt, and so they might have some vague remembrance of that event, but pretty much all of their life that lived in this wilderness. And so that's, that's what they had, that's what they were, they had experienced. Now, a couple of other things, these people had heard all their life. They had heard the promise of Abraham. And you know what the promise of Abraham was? That to his seed there was going to be given this great promised land. It was a land that was to flow with milk and honey. Now think about it. All you've ever seen is the wilderness, is a desert. And yet you've been promised this great land. The other thing is you've always partaken of the Passover once a year. So there's been some remembrance of the, the deliverance from Egypt in the sense of the Passover, but ma- maybe not in any way that's tangible that you can really remember unless you were uh, one of the older there. And so they were in this area. And then in verse number 3 of, I believe it's chapter 3, then Joshua arose early in the morning and they sent out to Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and he lodged there before they crossed over. And so he moves from, from where you see the little balloon, and he moves closer to the Jordan River. And they were there for three days. 
Now, while they were there camped right before the Jordan for three days, here's what they saw, or something similar to this. This is, I just took this picture as a beautiful land, so I don't want you to think that this is what they actually saw. But you get the idea. They had been in this wilderness, and now they see this great promised land. And, and that looks pretty, Connie saw that, and she said, oh, that's beautiful, that looks really nice. Think about what that would look like to somebody who had been in the wilderness that long. But yet, there was something else. They also saw this. They saw the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River is not typically a large river. They say, I was doing some reading on that this week, and they say it's during normal times, it's only about 30 meters long. And it's not really that deep. So that sounds pretty good. That doesn't look like that thing right there. That's a lot bigger. But God delivered them to the edge of the Jordan, not at a normal time, but at a time of the, of a, of a harvest, a time where the, the river was, was overflowing. And they said that, as I began to read about this, they said it, it would swell from these 30 meters to up to 800 meters in width. Now, you might think, well, you know, surely someone could still cross. Mike could. But what if, you had a, what if you had a whole nation of people? The census shows there, there was about 601,700 men, 20 years old and up. Plus you had the women and you had the children. So probably more than a million people would be crossing this Jordan. How are you going to cross a whole nation like that? How are you going to get them across there? So, again, put yourself in the shoes of these people who saw this great paradox of a beautiful land that they might inherit and was promised to them, and yet this seemingly impenetrable obstacle that was in their way, that was a barrier to that inheritance. And so for three days you looked at that. And you thought about that. Well, here's what Joshua told them to do. Joshua said that you wait until you camp here at the grounds until you see the priest walk by carrying the ark. And we remember the ark of the covenant was, that was symbolic of God's presence with his people. That when it was in the tabernacle, that was in the most holy place and there was God's glory that shone above that. And so they, they recognized that that was, that represented God's presence. And so as they, as the, as the ark was, was transported past them, they were told you're to follow it. But follow it at about of a distance of some 200, 200 cubits, I think is what it says. And in another translation, it said about a half a mile. So don't get up there too close, but we want you to follow it. And they were to follow it until these priests were to step in the water. So the, these priests stepped in the edge of the, of the Jordan River, and guess what happened? That just like with the Red Sea some 40 years before, God parted this river. And they parted it in such a way that it left the, the ground completely dry. You know, you think about the rain we've had out here in the last few days. How long is it going to take for it to be completely dry? It's going to take a while. It's going to take a few days for that to dry up. 
Well, God, in a matter of an instant, it went from a raging river that was some approximately 800 uh, meters in width to those waters being parted and the ground beneath being completely dry. And so as those priests stepped there, then those, those waters were pushed back. And just as they did with the Red Sea some 40 years before, the children of Israel were allowed to march across. Well, the priests then, they, were, they marched out in the middle of that river and they stood there until everything else was accomplished, as Joshua told them. Now, think about again what you would, what you would feel if you, were, if you were in that. How, how, would you, how, would you, how would you experience that? And, and what would be your sense of, of who had done this for you? Had you done this or did, some, did, did God do this for you? And I think we recognize that this is the blessing of a creator that would do that. Well, once they got across, then uh, Joshua said to them, here's what you do. I, he picked out 12 men, one from each of the tribe, tribes of Israel, and he sent them back to that river. And he said, I want you to go get some stones. I want you to go get a rock, each one rock for each of you. And you're to put it on your shoulder. So it wasn't, this wasn't going to be a little pebble. This was going to be a good sized rock that these men were going to take and put on their shoulder. And they were then going to carry them with them and they were going to stack, stack them together at the camp. Now, why did they do that? Well, in verse, in chapter four and verse number seven, and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. In other words, that there was a chance that people would forget. Do you think people forget? Do you forget? Sometimes I forget. And I think people are, in general, forgetful. And even some of these people who experienced this great event, probably a year or two years or three years or five years down the road... That, that memory would begin to fade and it might not have the same influence in their lives and, and drive their, their desire to follow their Creator as they had been motivated to do in this incident. And so these memorials were just that. They were, they were to, to set as a, as a remembrance for all of Israel that God delivered them across that river on that day. Now, that wasn't the end of the memorial because Joshua also said, I want you to take some rocks and I want you to stack them up in the middle of the river. And so they, they took these 12 rocks and they put them in the middle of the river and they stacked it. And again, these were, must have been large rocks. So then once those rocks were there, then, then the, the uh, priests that were uh, carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead and completed their journey across and then the waters returned to their normal level but you could still see those rocks in the middle of that river. Again, why? As a memorial. So that any Jew that passed there in the future would be reminded that that is symbolic of your deliverance into this land that was, that was promised to you. So again, Joshua set those 12 stones up. They were to be in the middle of that rock and they were to be seen. Well, now why? So Joshua said, and by this... Ye shall know that the living God is among you and that He will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, 
the Perizzites, the Gergesites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. So all these inheritance of this promised land that was that was so beautiful, God, one of the reasons that He did that is so the children of Israel would know that He that God was with them and that God would deliver them against all these armies that He would ask them to fight. And so again, just like it wasn't the children of Israel and their power and their might that had them cross that river, it was God's. God was saying that just like that, I'll be with you in the future and help you in these, these battles that you're going to face. And so that was the, again, that was part of the reason for that. For us, for us, the, the lesson is more about the cross. And more about our deliverance was because of, of the cross of Jesus Christ and His willingness to go there and to do something that you couldn't do for yourself and I couldn't do for myself. Think about what, what the Jordan River would represent. The Jordan River would represent death. You know, you've heard songs that talk about crossing the Jordan and we all know that that's talking about when you pass over the other side from this life to another one. And that the only way that you can do that successfully is through the blood of, of the Savior. Not anything that you could do. And so again, you can see why God chose. It's interesting that He chose such a time that the, that the waters would be that wide because He's saying that I'm the one that's going to take you across. You're not. And, and Jesus and the cross of Christ and the grace that He offers is very much the same. He's saying that I'm the one that's going to take you across. You're not. It says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those that have fallen asleep. For as in, a- in Adam all die, even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. So just like the, the, the ark, who was, that was the, the presence of, of God with his people, as it made those seas part, uh, that river part, and allowed the people to come, come through, the same thing with the blood of Jesus Christ. That as, as he, he made the way, and without Him making the way, there would be no way that you and I could have a relationship with our God because we know we have all sinned and fallen short of His glory. But it's only through His blood that we're able to be made right. So you think about the great reward. To them, it was that land. But Jesus speaks of us, of, of heaven... And he speaks of there will be many mansions there. That there's a street of gold. That there's no sadness. That there's no pain. That we will be in perfect harmony with our Creator. You know, right before uh, I got up to speak this morning, Dusty led 885 that talked about how beautiful heaven must be. And it's really the perfect song to lead into this because that's our promised land. That's the land that we long for. The great obstacle that they faced, it was impossible for man to navigate that alone. Couldn't do it. You're talking about a million people or so trying to cross this giant river. It was a, Think about the test of faith. 
how could you know when you stepped on that dry land that God was going to keep those waters parted long enough that you could cross? So it took some faith for them to do that. It required the miraculous power of God, just like it requires the miraculous power of God to make us right with Him and part the seas of death and allow us to go through and to the other side and have relationship with God on the other side. Now, I want to I talk about, for a moment, a misapplication, I believe. And it, I'm, I'm not against athletes giving praise to God. I'm not against, for, for things that go well for them, I'm not against uh, you or I giving thanks to God for the things we have. You know, I wake up in the morning, and one of the first things I always do is I, I am thankful that I am healthy and I feel well and I can get up and do what I do. I, I'm all, Every day, I, I, I'm thankful that I have that. But the danger is, that's one step from if I believe that if I believe if I take that too far, I may take it to the point that because in someday I'm not. What about that day I get up and I'm sick? Was that God's fault? So we've got to be careful when we when we equate the um, the blessings that the children of Israel received were a physical blessing, but our blessing is not. A blessing in this life. In other words, we shouldn't get the idea that just because we're faithful, it's an insurance policy against bad things happening. Because what happens is, if you think that way, what happens is the first thing, first time things go wrong, what does that do to your faith? Well, it can destroy it because you think that I'm only, God loves me, so He's blessing me, and the second things go wrong for me, then God must not love me anymore. And so we've got to be careful not to think that way. And yet I know there are a lot of people in the Christian world that teach that, that, that basically if you're not living right, that if, if you're not doing well, it's because you're not living right. And we know that there have been a lot of good Christians that have gone through some horrible and terrible things. You know, several years ago, a, a good man, a preacher, Justin Springer, passed away from a, a long and tough bout with cancer. It was, it was incredibly difficult. He was a young man. Does that mean God didn't love him or his family? I don't believe that for a second. Sometimes God uses hard things to teach other people lessons. And so I want us to, to understand that our reward is not in this life, although I do believe in the power of prayer. You know, we started this morning with a, with a prayer, and we believe in prayer, and we believe that God has providence in this world, and we believe that He can intervene. But what if he chooses not to? What if his answer is no? Then do we turn our back and say, well, God doesn't love me anymore? What if this guy that hit this home run or whatever he did, uh, what if he struck out? God didn't love him? God loved the pitcher more than him? Is that? You see how we, got, we have to be careful about taking that too far. Because I think in doing so, you can, you can undermine the message. And the message is, is that for them, they had, they had rewards. Let me read a verse to you. Um, if you have your scriptures, I would invite you to turn with me to um, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 1. 
It says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels prove steadfast. Now, so he's making a reference back to the old law in the old times. He said, if that word that they spoke proved to be right, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. So if you think about in, in those times, in the times of the children of Israel, they were obedient, they prospered, physically prospered. They disobeyed, God slapped them down. That's what that's saying pretty much. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? That's not talking about you and I doing well in this life. That's not looking at a Jordan River in our life that may seem insurmountable and saying, well, I'm just going to trust on, trust God that, yeah, there's, there's 200 people that have applied for this job, but God's going to get, make me get that job because He loves me. Well, that's great. If he, and you should praise Him if you get it. What if you don't? Still going to praise Him? Still going to be all right with that? So I think we have to be careful about that and not take it too far. So, the lesson for us, the stacking up the rocks for us, what's our memorial? You know, I first thought about this as our memorial, and it is a, it is a reminder and is a way by which we show the world that we believe and we remember. So that's part of it. But a bigger part is the daily life that you and I live. We're the rocks. We're the rocks. And the life that we live is a memorial that shows people that there are people today, some 2,000 years removed from when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that still believe that message and their life has been shaped by that message. Not that they just play lip service to it, but rather it causes them to behave in a way that is different from the rest of the world. That's the memorial. That's the memorial that you and I need to leave. That's the life that we need to live. One that, that, is, that is driven by, by faith. Just as they crossed that Jordan, and as they crossed, they were no doubt inspired that God was with them. And so, as they look back on the memorials of the stacking up the rocks, they were inspired to remember their God and do what He asked them to do. We should look on the cross... Remember it and believe it and live in a way that it serves as a memorial to people around us, to our friends and neighbors, people that we work with, the people that we, uh, that we associate with weekly or daily or whatever it is, so that they can see that Jesus is a reality in our life. And if they do that, that will be the, that'll be the memorial that can cause them to come and believe also. This morning, I hope that uh, I've said something that's inspired you and will help you to uh, be motivated to live uh, better as a Christian. The challenges are many. We know that. But think about the challenges the children of Israel faced. Think about the challenges of the first century Christians and what they did. Their memorial was a lesson for you and a lesson for me. If we can assist you in any way, we're going to offer a song of invitation. If we need to pray for you, or, or you're, you've been sufficiently taught and we can help you in baptism, then we would ask you to come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.